there has to be one of the skinny women who is the fat person in every show with two women. podcast about the year 2003 and all the ways it's shaped our world and our lives today. I'm your host, Helen Grossman, and this is episode seven, Rich Girls. Something bizarre was in the air in 2003 because it was a trend. I'm not going to call it a coincidence that in the fall, there were two shows about pairs of wealthy heiress best friends and all the ridiculous stuff they did together and we the viewers were encouraged to gawk at and ridicule them the first was of course the simple life which plucked la party girls nicole ritchie and paris hilton out of beverly hills and placed them in the middle of arkansas every day They were assigned different jobs that they were inevitably fired from. We're going to talk about The Simple Life in the next episode of Class of 03. So hit that subscribe button if you haven't yet, because you're not going to want to miss that one. Um, But the show that we're talking about today, it was an MTV program about Allie Hilfiger, who's the daughter of designer Tommy Hilfiger, and Jamie Gleitcher, who was the daughter of a wealthy New York businessman. They were best friends and high school seniors, real legit class of 03 girlies, and decided to broadcast their friendship on the most popular channel amongst their age group. Really kind of a brave thing to do if you think about it for the time. And they showed the world their lives as they went to prom and graduated high school and spent the summer together before they went off into their respective futures. Unlike the simple life, which had this clear structure and premise around Paris and Nicole being given these assignments and sort of doing ridiculous tasks. The rich girls go shopping, they go to London, they get in fights, they make up, they start college, they do more shopping. There's really a lot of shopping in it. So there are several different parallels and angles that you could take to unpack these two shows, to compare them, to talk about them together. When I first rewatched them, what struck me was how these shows are both at their core stories about female friendship. In 2003, we didn't have a lot of pop culture that portrayed the nuances of teenage friendship. We especially didn't have a lot of pop culture that portrayed the nuances of female friendships. There's the social politics of friend groups, the shifting allegiances, the body image issues, the jealousy, the emergent sexuality, the heightened emotions. 
Of the few examples that I can think of, female friendships and female dynamics among young women were often represented as dangerous, sexy, or we, the viewers, were forced to compare and pit the women against one another. Take iconic 2003 movie 13, which is about a seventh grader played by Evan Rachel Wood named Tracy. And she makes a new friend, Evie, played by Nikki Reed. This is like the story supposedly of her life. Um, And Tracy becomes immersed in Evie's world of drug, sex, and crime. There's also the most iconic friend show of the 2000s, Sex and the City, which is not about teens at all. So we're gonna strike that off the list. Real stories, stories that show the depth and the tears of laughter and tears of frustration of being a teenager with so many feelings where every single day, everything about your friendship is the most important thing in the world. Those stories are hard to find. They still are. But in a TV production landscape dominated by male executives and an audience inhabiting the male gaze, not necessarily by choice, but by reflex, shows like The Simple Life and Rich Girls were positioned as comedies for us to laugh at the main subjects. Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie were best friends, and it's clear that they could not have done this show without each other. The show just simply could not have sustained without their delicate balance of personality. And the same goes for Rich Girls, a show that Allie and Jamie supposedly pitched themselves to MTV. In both these shows, their inside jokes and bestie vernacular is this electric current between them. One that the audience only catches brief momentary glimpses of in between or in spite of the show's insistence that we laugh at them. The other thing that really struck me about these two shows is what we will refer to in this episode as Eat the Rich Entertainment. So in February 2003, the Quarterly Journal of Economics published a landmark article by economists Thomas Piketty and Emmanuel Saez entitled Income Inequality in the United States 1913 to 1998. The paper used tax records spanning the 20th century to map out a U-shaped pattern, a curve, in the total income held by the top 10% of income earners in the 20th century. And this U-shaped curve is attributed to a swing from the early 20th century, which started out with high income inequality, to the mid-century when things sort of leveled out due to FDR's income tax hikes, the Great Depression, World War II... And then the curve swings up again in the 1980s after the Reagan administration's tax cuts. The authors of this article call for progressive taxation, which means that the higher your income, the more taxes you pay. And in this article, they end it with this rather prophetic statement. Quote, The decline of progressive taxation observed since the early 1980s in the U.S. could very well spur a revival of high wealth concentration and top capital incomes during the next few decades. That's right now. The Piketty and Saez model and paper was highly influential. It served as a basis for other studies on inequality and has been cited thousands of times. And just weeks before the Quarterly Journal of Economics published this paper, 
A documentary titled Born Rich premiered at Sundance. The film was created and directed by Jamie Johnson, heir to the Johnson and Johnson fortune. And in the documentary, which started as his uh, classic heir NYU film school thesis project, in, in this documentary, Jamie interviews other young heirs, including Ivanka Trump, about their experience growing up wealthy. And this film explored the disconnect between the ultra-rich, especially those from old money families, and their inability to speak about their wealth, and how this inability alienates them from society. In the film, Jamie discusses the widening wealth gap and the alienation and disparity between extremely wealthy people and average people in society. So... This is setting the scene and the two simultaneous mental tracks that we're on as we discuss the original Nepo babies from Rich Girls and the Simple Life. There's a growing fascination, a growing awareness of just how isolated these women are from normies. But there's also an interesting dynamic in which the resentment about this is being placed on young women. Women who mostly just seem like they're creating this reality shows to cash in on their family names and strike out on their own. And while they're doing that, they're having a great time, theoretically, with their best friends. So bear that in mind. For this episode, I spoke with my dear friend, Hannah Becker, about Rich Girls, which we both rewatched with fresh eyes for the podcast, and she brought to our conversation such a thoughtful and incisive analysis of a show that most people would probably not see the critical value of exploring. I really, really loved this conversation, and I think you will too. So while the Rich Girls may be lost to history, as Hannah says in the episode, they aren't lost to us anymore, not to us in the class of 03. Here's Rich Girls with Hannah Becker. Hi, I'm Hannah Becker. And in 2003, I was in eighth grade. So today we're going to be talking about the MTV show Rich Girls, about Allie Hilfiger and Jamie Gleitcher, two New York City school girls <laughs> not really school seniors. girls <laughs> yeah oh, seniors they were class of 03 it starts with them essentially graduating high school and then follows them through the summer after they graduate How dare you? it starts with them going to prom it starts with them you're right it starts with them going to prom iconic of course they go to prom jamie doesn't lose her virginity there's drama you know but then uh, it ends with them sort of embarking on their adult life paths or, you know, how the show presents it. And then of course the reality was a very different thing. Um, so what was your experience with this show in 03? Did you watch it when it was on? I absolutely watched it as it aired. And I think at that time, like the channel to be watching was MTV. So it was kind of like an always on So I'm not sure how much I selected it versus like opted in via always watching MTV. Like you got home, you turned on TRL and then like until the end of the day, I feel like it was around. Yeah. I also have recollections of like watching it either with my mom or like in the same room as my mom, like doing like homework, my mom like making dinner and then this being on maybe. Uh Uh-huh. 
she was sort of like shocked by the the like freedom of these youth yeah just the access that they had how they were going all over the place the like privilege and like the access the privilege gave them that there were like Mm -hmm. no boundaries I also grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia so I think like city kid lifestyle was a shocking difference Mm -hmm. yeah like mom can you drive us to the mall right (laughs) right that's like what most people sort of upbringing was like if you weren't a rich an mtv rich girl <laughs> yeah if you didn't have your own limo yeah that you were annoyed that your friends just wouldn't pay you back for despite having in every other episode of the right show. <laughs> right to her credit though ali could drive which i was really impressed by i mean she ultimately yeah. picks up jamie and drops her off at college so you know yes so she can get from the city to connecticut is exactly. what i deduced and I mean, I think that's pretty brave Yeah. for an 18-year-old city driver. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she also clearly has access to planes. Like, she flies to Nantucket. They fly to London. They fly to Seattle. They fly to LA. Um, but, yeah. When when they introduce the episode where they're going to Nantucket and they say, Allie has a stomach virus, so her mom wants her to fly instead. I just like really had a giggle about how they had to like introduce a new girlfriend just so somebody could drive Jamie to Nantucket. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Were there episodes or like moments from the show that before you rewatched it for this, like that you specifically remembered? I would say that New York City blackout episode indelible in my mind. Um, I just feel like my major impression of this show was like shopping just a lot of shopping was my recollection um and it's interesting how little actually happens in any single episode so I'm like not surprised upon rewatching that I don't have deep memories of this show because unlike sort of current uh reality tv where there's like always a theme or a plot there's like real long spaces in the show where just like it's just two girls and they have to figure out what they're doing in a day and there's no time even spent figuring out what they're doing or seeing that as the viewer yeah it's just like they're gonna do this thing and it's 20 minutes and we're done yeah it's just like a real slice of life but also an abnormal life like not a relatable life necessarily I mean in the first episode it's fun like the shopping definitely stands out because in the first episode they're like we stomp around this city like it's our shopping haven you know we have to call my uncle sort of uncle Michael H and he's gonna show us this vintage (laughs) store that we can't access without being stylists and I think it's the first episode where they do a lot of zooming in on receipts being like $1,500. $1,500. Yeah. $2,500. Yeah. Or like when Jamie buys a laptop for college and it's almost $3,000. And in 2003 dollars, $2,600, $3,000 would have been, you know, $5,500 today, which is also crazy. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which leads me to one of my favorite quotes of any episode that I watched, which was when we somehow meet Lucille Ball's granddaughter and she gets asked, Allie asks her, so do people ask you like, are you rich? And she goes, well, let's put it this way. My grandparents had $20,000 in 1950. What do you think? And like, that's a whole moment of the episode. 
<laughs> of course, that's in the van en route to uh, Six Flags, Six Flags. <laughs> which is also, I mean, you mentioned the uh, the blackout episode. It's funny to think of like, that's the most you know, famous episode of the show in a way that's like kind of the most important time capsule like that it actually captured. Minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I guess they realized that like the camera equipment, like they needed power to actually power the production, but they like, they really uh, did not, they did not show a lot of the power outage. <laughs> Maybe. I think they built up the drama without ever kind of um, making us feel it because they like were like, look at them running. Like Allie's running around the city having the time of her life and Jamie's having seven different panic attacks about 25 different things. Right. Including lighting candles, her mom sitting near a window, her mom saying, did you know about the last power outage? Her mom saying, do you think this is because of the Iranians? Yes. <laughs> her brother talking to her mom. <laughs> her maybe aunt being there. <laughs> yeah. Well, Allie's like, I get to take the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Allie's like experiencing life of the people. And she's yeah. like, we went up to try to get in the Tommy Hilfiger store. And they were like, the power's out. We can't let you in. And she's like, oh, I guess that's a good thing. But also, we know that man inside. Yeah, and then once they get in, in the midst of this blackout, they're just like, it's so nice that no one's in the store. And we're just like looking through all the racks of clothing. Her and her aunt are shopping. Yeah, it's another moment to shop. <laughs> there are a few really notable moments, I think, when they try to make Jamie and Allie look like exact opposites of one another. Mm. I think one of them is the very beginning of the graduation episode where... Jamie's commenting on like, my degree feels like the culmination of my entire academic performance. And that's how I feel today at graduation. We also see she's giving a speech. The one quote they pull from Allie is that she's upset that her still sort of wet hair is frizzy under her cap. And her dad like negs her so hard in his speech about like the fact that she graduated with honors. Oh, and Allie's wearing Uggs and Jamie's mom is like, you had the best shoes there. And she's wearing like little prissy pumps. They're just like, could you believe these two girls could be best friends? Right. And like what binds them together is their materialistic tendencies. <laughs> like They both have rich dads. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is early reality programming. You know, it's on around the same time that The Simple Life is on. Um, it's on, you know, a year after the Osbournes. To me, that feels like the closest comparison. Feels like there's not producer imposed narrative compared mm -hmm. to like a lot of what I feel like the reality we're inundated with now is where yeah. everything feels like it's really managed by production or like Andy at Bravo is like creating each season's concepts or something like this. I, it doesn't feel real housewife yet, mm -hmm. um, which I think is why it feels like a little void of content or I yeah. think the reason why it feels feels like underproduced in some ways compared to things like The Simple Life, where I feel like all of it was, I, which I never watched, but I feel like you couldn't escape because it was constantly like clips of it for next week's episode and commercials was very mm -hmm. part of life. Yeah. Um, and that show felt like so much more produced because they were like placing Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie into situations versus this was just 
Jamie and Allie, and this is this week in their life. I mean, they must have shot this only in like two months. Yeah. It's like definitely the it's end of the really school year. So summer. it's maybe yeah. May, May to August is this whole show. Yeah. Yeah. And then it starts airing in October, you know? So that's a really yeah, quick wild. turnaround. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I wonder though, you know, with the lack of structure and the lack of like a conceit of a plot this week, the girls are going to London and like in London, they're going for this reason, right? Like, which is how we would potentially frame a reality show now or like an episode now is like, there's a purpose and they're achieving that purpose. And there's like a reason that they're going and that's, we're going to achieve something by the end of this episode. They're just like going to London for no reason really. Mm -hmm. But like in that space, do you feel like we get more of a truth to like their dynamic of their friendship? I felt so disconnected overall in the show from the idea of them as friends. I think it felt like we're almost the third friend in a friendship group, but it doesn't feel like the show is truly about their friendship as much as it is about being an 18 year old girl with extreme privilege growing up in Manhattan, turning 18 on the cusp of taking off into adult life. Yeah. They supposedly were the ones who like brought this idea to MTV, right? Like they were like, when I read that, I was shocked. Yeah. The point of view that we're getting about them isn't like, tenderness towards their friendship it's like look at how ridiculous they are in their own unique ways well and so I was trying to figure out a lot of times when we were seeing the two girls like they they feel like kind of classically like foils sort of we have like Allie and she's a little bit can like a little bit more childish and playful and a little bit more like fanciful and free and then Jamie who is like clearly very anxious, has like basically every type of interpersonal problem that you could drum up in your like 18 year old life she comes into contact with. And when I said the thing about like Ally wears Uggs and Jamie's in these pumps, I feel like they do a lot to kind of demonstrate contrast between them without ever doing much to bring us back together mm. with them as a pair. Um, but I also feel like we're getting and trying to like set the audience up in relationship to these two girls. I've been trying to kind of figure out why they're seen as dumb so often. Like I don't yeah. think either of these two women are dumb. And that also sort of plays hand in hand with like this simple life thing um, of was the producer's goal to like dumb down women because there's like a love of dumbing down women through media in general was their goal to dumb down these women because like if we're going to consume the ultra riches life and not feel like just deep resentment toward the towards them we like have to see them as dumb uh, so that we can feel better than them like they're clearly these two girls who like they talk about that Ethiopia thing which they call basically like that Ethiopia project thing so much like they're trying to actively demonstrate that they're not idiots that they're not discompassionate that they're rich what's that tag that they have it's like just because we're rich doesn't mean we're bad people is like the tag Mm. from the advertisements for the show so like they're doing a lot content wise to try to say that they're not dumb and yet production wise 
these girls who are 18 year old leaving New York City who like one doesn't have a license and the other lives in New York City where like you basically wouldn't learn to drive anyway uh don't know how to pump gas for themselves I'm like is it privileged sure but is it also like what it's like to be an 18 year old or someone who just got their driver's license like totally but it's produced as like, look at these demos trying to pump gas. What idiots, they can't figure out a credit card machine. And you're like, how many times have you put your credit card in? Taking it back and it says like, no, you did it too fast. It's happened to me a million times. And I don't think I'm yeah, dumb. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you're definitely not dumb. And neither, you know, I don't think either of the women are dumb either. I mean, Jamie ends up going to Barnard, right? Like incredible college, you know, there's- It was Jamie's top pick. It was her top choice, her childhood dream. What do you think the show's point of view is on Ali, on Jamie, and then like on the two of them? You know, you talked about presenting them as foils. Yeah. Like there are a lot of moments in the show where like the music, the editing really is like giving us a sort of perspective on how we're supposed to feel about them, but also individually and who they are. I mean, the one thing that is really stuck with me since my rewatch of a lot of it today (laughs) is that um, so much of Jamie's content is about her being stressed. So much of it is about being stressed. I'm also really fascinated by the fact that to me, Jamie is very obviously Jewish Mm -hmm. and how much that read kind of across the country as being as obvious as it is to me. I mean, like partially at one point, like her mom saying blessings over candles during the blackout, like there's some like very overt Judaism and then there's other like, different cues um uh call it they like didn't explain what like a putz was until like six episodes later but michael v is like definitely a putz um absolute putz a putz head (laughs) (laughs) it was just so funny i love the idea of her aunt going up to him at her graduation party and being like i heard you're a putz (laughs) yeah (laughs) hero true hero of the show yeah no also the man who goes up to him on a bench and is like you seem pretty insecure if you would be so mean to a man who just comes up to you on a bench. Like adults were on Michael V at yeah. that graduation party and I was there for it. But yes, Jewish. Jamie feels very <laughs> Jewish to me. Yeah. They feel like they make her plot line. I like don't know how much the anxiety and the Judaism and the New Yorker feels like stereotypical and how much of it was like that is all the energy that girl was giving off at the time. And I mean, like, mm. she's going through like one of the largest life transitions you could go through. And so it's reasonable that that was a stressful period of time. Um, I also had the sensation that Jamie felt like she was really currently like Jennifer Coolidge vibes. She like constantly has a cigarette. She's always wearing leopard print and she like just is giving off the energy of a woman 20 years older than she is. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it doesn't so, help that whenever she's on on the screen with her mom, like they look so much alike. Like they really are presented yeah. as more like peers than as. Well, and her mom is like around all the time, either for the sake of like they're actually friends. She wants to be on the TV show. She's trying to be mindful of her daughter on a TV show. Who yeah. knows what it is? But like yeah. her mom is around a lot. 
Jamie feels like she's seen as this like person who's like very bound by her responsibilities. And Allie seems very free as a girl with all the money in the world, right? Like we've got Jamie going in the last episode to her women's studies class and Allie is organizing her like 600 pairs of jeans. Like they make Allie seem very superficial, even though I think ultimately Allie keeps over and over again trying to describe herself as creative. Mm -hmm. They let her have like talk about how she's like, I want to explore witchcraft. This might sound scary, but I want to explore witchcraft is something she says at one point. She's kind of a manic pixie dream girl. She's like enigmatic. She's like very effortless. She's always mm-hmm. in like the white tank top and the little denim mini skirt. And Jamie's got on like full makeup. And I think there's a lot of thinness and fatness that comes into the conversation of how they're portrayed too. Definitely. Which is, I mean, kind of conversation of the times. Like everybody who wasn't as skinny as Allie is in the show was a fat person. Yeah. And that is 2003 for you Nicole Richie was the fat person exactly it's there there has to be one of the skinny women who is the fat person in every show with two women um and that clearly also impacts these women because like we hear about it afterwards yeah I noticed a few things about them and in thinking back on 2003 culture that feels like they're kind of really prototypical to a lot of the female characters that feel really ultra iconic from this time period. I think the rich girls are very much lost to history and like Mm. shall never be reborn. But there's a part of the episode of 4th of July where they're eating lobster and Jamie says no to butter because calories and God forbid. And then Allie goes like, what are calories anyway? And like, what is butter? And it's just like, there's no way Tina Fey did not watch this and say, is butter, butter a carb, a carb? <laughs> or mean girls? Like there's no way yes, that didn't exist. Totally. These two are kind of iconically the Blair and Serena of Gossip Girl. Like mm-hmm. one is a little bit more organized, like notably anxious and like driven, goal oriented, driven the Blair that is Jamie. And then Allie is the free spirited, like somehow lucks into everything effervescently effortlessly beautiful kind of character yeah that's magnetic really to everyone around. Yeah. everyone wants to be friends with her everyone's jealous of each other for being friends with her yeah. yes like she somehow is the drama despite also not doing maybe anything I think the insight especially with something like Gossip Girl where it takes place in the literal setting that these two girls have also created for us in Rich Girls I don't think Gossip Girl really exists if we never get to view that through rich girls. There were moments, I guess, watching it where I was truly like, these girlies are friends. Like there was the one scene where like Allie's like laughing so hard. She like pees her pants and she's like, and (laughs) and I, it, it made me, I felt it right. Like there were brief moments like that. Cause you don't get a lot of them. You get them declaring it. You're my best friend. She's my best friend. Like I've never felt you know, I've known this girl my whole life, this other girl, Liz, but with Jamie, who I've been friends with for a year, like it's so deep. Our friendship is so deep. I like feel very positively towards these two girls in rewatching this. I think I'm not sure I would have had that perception of them in 2003. I don't think I disliked them in 2003. I just think I was a little bit more deeply critical of them then. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now I'm sort of like, 
who can imagine putting yourself out there like this is like yeah. my first question and watching this. But yeah, yeah, there's like a buzziness to their friendship. You can tell the tenuousness of them knowing that they're about to go into these different steps of their life. And I think there is something really nostalgic that touches to not my 2003 nostalgia, but just the being a youth and like having these like fleeting, but like so passionate and deeply important moments in your friendship. Yeah. These, like little periods um, that burn so hot. Right. Like friendships that feel so intense when you're experiencing them. I mean, you can tell, right? Like you can see that the dynamic between them and like the sort of the energy and vitality between them that like they went and pitched this to MTV and you can see like, yeah. oh yeah, these girls are best friends. Like, and maybe it was like the presence of the cameras or the editing or something. It's interesting because they are producers on this show. They clearly didn't have like edit privileges, but they were given producer credit mm-hmm. because the editing is not very generous to them or to their friendship. Clearly they're no longer friends. They weren't friends after the show aired. Um, but in shows like The Simple Life, like what makes The Simple Life so fun to watch now is that even though the editing and the and the perspective of the show is like, look at these dumb girls like trying to work at Sonic. Like they're so stupid. And like you get the camera, you know, uh, you know, showing townspeople who can't believe that Paris Hilton and Nicole Richie are like in their town writing lewd messages on the marquee signs. <laughs> like you can actually glimpse from them, from Nicole and uh, and Paris that they're very aware of how they're going to be portrayed. They're very aware of like, I know that you're doing this to make fun of me. I know that we're going to be the butt of the joke here, but because we know that we're actually like subverting it and we're making you the butt of the joke, you know, like there's like a very interesting wink that happens, which is why the show's so fun to watch. And I just feel like this show in its pure, genuine, you know, like in just the fact that these girls were so trusting of the production ultimately is their downfall and the downfall they of the thought show. they were making a video diary i think like yeah. to them they were like this is like our summer 2003 mm-hmm. like and it's interesting though that you think that about the like subversion with paris and nicole and the situations they were in because my perception i never watched the simple life because it always felt like these rich girls are making poor people feel bad but I think there is really this interesting ownership over the gaze. That is something that these girls on rich girls don't have. And it's really hard to identify like who is ultimately the butt of the joke in the simple life that makes it uncomfortable as a viewer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I listen, I I can't recommend the simple life anymore. Like I, I truly, I've watched it. Um, I've rewatched it multiple times the first season is the first season they're in one place they're on one farm they're staying with one family and the family was clearly given the directive of like teaching these privileged girlies about morality and about like work and about like work ethic and like okay you know like living on the farm and you know being part Mm -hmm. of a family and we're supposed to feel I think like they're insubordinate right like they're not they're not Mm -hmm. being good house guests or whatever but they're uh 
it it is really interesting because I feel like they really toe the line quite well of like not being disrespectful to the people of the town and to the people of the the home who they're staying in, but also being aware of like this is not an okay situation that you're trying to put mm-hmm. on us. And if you're going to put it on us, then we're gonna like make the most out of it and be funny with it. You know, we'll be bratty about it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Is this a genre of TV called like punish the rich? Is that like what right. Eat this the rich. Like, heiress yeah. revolution is about? Like there is clearly like, I think rich girls, we call it rich girls, but again, it's like also heiresses. There's mm-hmm. like an heiress moment happening in 2003. Yeah. Um, which is funny to kind of think about our current Nepo baby fascination because they're essentially the same thing, just like heiresses don't inherently try to also create art in a medium of their parents choosing yeah i mean i think the osbournes is also like part of this genre as well i feel like the osbournes were always like freaks though totally they're in the subgenre of freak of freak rich yeah yeah exactly <laughs> the genre of freak rich through yeah. that yeah they just feel like so much more like you're looking at a sideshow that happens yeah. to be wealthy when you watch right. the Osbournes as a reality show. Right, like, like the the wealth. Is Ozzy gonna emerge from a coffin while yelling at his son for spending too much on his credit card? Yeah, like that, it feels like that's like you just put a Halloween lens on the rich family. Yeah. What you know? What do you think? Like like what do you take away from this show now right like having watched it when you were in eighth grade now as an adult watching it like what is your takeaway from it being able to watch this back and not feel horribly cringe to be able to watch this back and to not feel like these girls were monsters and to be able to watch this back and have like compassion for the idea that these women put themselves out there at this incredibly vulnerable moment in their lives on the precipice of something that felt monumental to them. So they were like particularly in a tenuous mind space and to have come out with only this. And it can honestly, I think it's like a blessing for them that this doesn't exist really basically anywhere except for one YouTube channel online. Like it's, I think, probably better for them as women to exist now with this being like three articles that you occasionally can find online and a blip in our 2003 and I feel good not feeling scarred by it I think in the rewatch because I think there's a lot of things that have aged even worse Mm -hmm. yeah that's a really that's a really really good good point and good takeaway yeah, I mean, I feel really, I think because I'm like, where are they now? Like, that's where most of the articles are. And it's like, they're no longer yeah. friends or like they stop being friends right after it. Like, that just struck me. It struck me as so sad, you know, because they clearly took a leap of faith. They clearly thought they were being independent. They, you know, there was, this was a moment of innovating the form of reality TV. And like, that was sort of my takeaways. Like there are a lot of episodes where I'm just like, oh, this is so boring. Like this is such boring. Like there's a whole episode <laughs> that's just about like Jamie's dog getting sick. And like the whole, the 20 minute episode is mostly just shots of the dog, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, yes. and at the same time, I'm like, okay, well we actually don't see a lot of shows that are this uh, free wheeling that are like not as structured. Unplanned. That- unplanned, unstructured, un, you know, un, uninteresting a lot of the time. Also, 
unwritten. Like, yeah. I don't feel like a lot of this was the athlete manipulation of the producers. And I yeah. think that is so rarefied from any television, let alone reality television, let alone the reality television that's about to happen right after this. Like, I yeah. think that is truly unique and part of why it's boring. And I think that's like, both of those are good things to keep in mind. The producers have some value and also they seemingly are very sinister. Yeah, exactly. And like, they both seem like really well-intentioned young women who yeah, are on the precipice of like discovering themselves. Yeah, they're just sweet little rich girls, you know, like. <laughs> I, don't, I don't I mean what I do feel bad about is that I think that like at this particular moment in time with reality television people didn't realize and with the intersection of like reality tv and the internet like people didn't realize the sort of toxicity of like putting yourself out there in this way and so knowing what we know now about like you know I, I was just reading an interview with Jamie from like five years ago where she talks about going to Barnard, which of course we know is her dream school, number one choice. This starts airing in October of her freshman year, you know, and she was contractually obligated to have the camera crew with her for her first week of school, which is so embarrassing. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm for the listeners, I'm like folding in onto myself at the idea of having to have that experience. Yeah. So like, I can't even imagine. I think that like for her in this interview, she was just like, I hadn't, I didn't recognize the reality of like what it would be like that, what this product would ultimately be like, how it would be edited, how it would portray us. She was talking about how she put, you know, a whiteboard outside of her, um, her dorm room door and people would write messages on it that were like, go kill yourself, like just horrible things. And then on top of that, it's like the show starts airing and not just is she dealing with like being a known entity and a sort of reality TV celebrity on campus. Then on top of that, there's also the internet, right? There's like people making comments on the internet. There's forums, there's chat rooms, there's all that. So inescapable. like inescapable. And so Jamie drops out of college after her first term and takes three years off and is in rehab, is in um, eating disorder treatment in the psychiatric hospital for like a lot of that time that's that kind of um mental health problem is often can be characterized also as rich people problems yeah is an interesting uh way it kind of all ties back into this larger theme of their characterizes rich girl she then ends up with this rich girl problem of having this eating disorder based off of her public image based off the fact that she was on a tv show called rich girls it's right. kind of like a snake eating its own tail in this way uh yeah but it's and you can see it happen to her right like you can see it happen to her and I like don't think the show alone is to be considered at fault for her body image because we see it as a theme in the show throughout from the first episode basically um in part because Michael V who I hope is having a terrible life right now (laughs) The putts, putts the putts, he just he says a lot of mean things to her. He just repeatedly says a lot of mean things to her that often have to do with her body. So like she's getting this messaging from a lot of places. 2003 is a hard year to be getting messaging about body image from anywhere publicly. 
And, and not then just, she puts and, herself out in a public forum of being on MTV, which is like, if you want every teen to see you and have an opinion about you, this is where you do it. Yeah. And, and her best friend's father is a fashion designer and their junior's teen line is like skirts that are six inches long, you know, like they're, that are very <laughs> Where the designer is asking, don't you think that teens would be interested in wearing a belt as a skirt? Like, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and Allie has to come in and be like, I think they're too young for that. Yeah. Right. I don't think they're ready the for that. She has to tell She's you, I think that's yeah. inappropriate. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, and Allie I, has her, Allie has her own sort of fallout from the show and her own struggles afterwards. So it's just, mm -hmm. you know, not to be like overly compassionate to two girls who were really, really privileged and, you know, had it all, but like putting yourself out there in a, in a format that still didn't know what it was right like they had they didn't know what the end result of this was none of us really knew other than you know the few reality shows that were on at this time what is the what is it what is reality tv you know it would come it would define itself over the next five years but like it was still it was still undefined and so they like were sort of the original maybe not the the original but they were some of the original people who like experienced the sort of full cycle of like the uh of the reality tv churn ecosystem. and yeah exactly the ecosystem and like the the result that it has on on your life personally professionally etc i think part of the reason why my takeaway as just being compassionate and feeling like these girls should count themselves fortunate in a lot of ways not only because of being very rich, uh, is that they, it's like being involved in the beginning of any platform. I think like people who got really involved in social media in the beginning of Instagram or the start of YouTube, we now have seen how much being an influencer, being a content creator in those spaces can really run people's lives into really negative places. And so yeah. for people who did it, when they first start out, when you get to be the people who are incepting what is, or like conceiving of what is um, reality TV in the early 2000s or reality TV for millennials. And so for them to be able to say, we did this and we came out and the most is that you can find like four articles about us online and we're both living lives that are seemingly happy and fulfilled. I count them so lucky because I don't think that's the people who were on I Want a Famous Face or what was the one where they would like go and they would like change you in a week. You'd be, is that true life? True life. I want to be like a skater girl. And they would like get somebody who was like a skateboarder to like come and like wake you up every day. And like they always told everybody they were too fat is like my takeaway is like you're too fat. Start running. Then you can be cute. And still you're going to then have to like perform this skill in front of your whole high school and they're still going to hate you. Like that TV show just seemed like there was never a good experience. It was kind of there, like, if only to tell you, like, keep, like, you can think that the one thing that you hate about yourself, if you only you changed that would make your life fully different. But this TV show is here to tell you, like, never, you will always hate your life. There's so much reality TV of that time that feels far more nefarious that I truly think Definitely. Allie and Jamie got out clean for the most yeah, part. Right. Like they got a bad edit 
but they got a better edit than a lot of people. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I also think there's something, you know, sweet and kind of tragic about like everyone has a best friend that makes them feel, you know, that they feel so deeply connected to. Like we were talking about it burns fast, burns bright. And you have conversations with those friends where you go like, well, we should make a podcast. Like we're so funny. Like we should have a TV show, you know? And they did it right. Like they did that. They wanted to be together on TV, you know, like they wanted to show their friendship to the world. And there were a lot of friendships that were lost to high school or lost to college or lost to my twenties, you know, that when I watched the show, I was like, this reminds me of those, you know, like there's, there's a, yeah, just the giddy moments, loving being in the presence of like people you love. That feels like the part where, when Ali says she feels adultified, like that's sort of a way in which the show does it to them too. I think it takes out a lot of the more, the more like frivolous fun parts of life and their experience as friends and inserts like more frivolous that has to do with their vision of what they're trying to say with these girls as rich girls is like yeah we want to focus on the frivolous spending not like the just joy that two girls can have by being besties on on rich girls I I will say like aesthetically some things I thought were important to note is how many wrist formers Allie wears Mm -hmm. that feels very important to the year 2003 so in keeping up this podcast the wrist warmer specifically like the Rasta color wrist warmer is like has a chokehold also she's wearing that white belt with either it's pyramid studs or it's black and white checkerboard so much And all of those things are so funny because they're also like very consumer available. Like they're like the things you would buy at like a Hot Topic. This show really does a lot to highlight the like moment of the little dog, which is very analogous to Paris Hilton. There's like a lot of rich people with small pets (laughs) on the go. And I pet that as accessory. Pet as accessory. Very of the moment. Yes um the when they the flip phones obviously I think people will love I loved when they both printed out directions to Nantucket and used the in-car GPS that feels like really an important thing for the youth of today to know and experience is just like how little you knew how to get anywhere yeah (laughs) um I really liked that more than one episode Seabiscuit came up just to kind of create, again, the climate of the times. Yeah. That Seabiscuit came up more than once. And at one point, Jamie asked, does a person play Seabiscuit? Right. I think is really... <laughs> it's someone dressed a up treat. as a horse. Yep. Yeah. New, like, so Newlyweds is an O3 show too, actually. And it's like, okay. it's the chicken of the sea moment. Like every show. Oh, one, yeah. You know? It's the wall. Like, what do they sell at Walmart? Walls? Like, that's from The Simple Life. Like, there has to be mm. like a couple lines from every show like this if you're doing an, an Eat the Rich or Eat the Celebrity moment. Yeah. That heiress drama. Yeah. Exactly. Where they're like, look at what airheads they are. Like, how could they, you know, take such a simple concept and like think something so dumb about it? You know, like, so that I think to me, it's like every show needed a chicken of the sea 
pull quote. Every show you know? needs a chicken of the sea. I mean, I yeah. think to this day, it still it's exists. Still, yeah. It's just not always about highlighting like uh, stupid mistakes. Yeah, exactly. Stupid mistakes that we can then like laugh at women for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the presence of yoga. This is like definitely the beginning of yoga. And I feel like yoga as an East Coaster yeah. I don't know if you have this sensation as a West Coaster. Definitely felt like a trickle down from the rich to the general populace. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that it's treated in the show as this very exotic thing that they do. Um, I really loved and I realized, again, how funny it is to think about when things kind of had their inception into ubiquity of culture. And it was when they like really kept focusing on the staff making the caprese salad for fourth of july like mm-hmm. caprese definitely yes. having a moment in the year 2003 definitely. we like just realized yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You could <laughs> eat something as simple as a stacked slice of tomato a big slice of mozzarella and some basil like again feels commonplace now was la la of the time yeah totally um, If you hold on one second, I promise you I can go find my 2003 yearbook. I'll tell you what my quote is. Oh, my God, please. <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Hannah Becker. I'm leaving here. Now I can have an opinion. <laughs> wow. I was pissed. Let me tell you, I was so tired of the tyranny of middle school. Like I've known about fascism for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i love bratty eighth grade hannah she was really she was yeah. sick of this shit oh my god well thank you so much for rewatching rich girls and you're so welcome thank you for inviting me to experience it hi again it's helen and it's time for our song of the week In honor of the friendships so cavalierly destroyed by television editors and early internet forums, our song of this week is We Used to Be Friends by the Dandy Warhols. The song was the lead single off the band's fourth album, Welcome to the Monkey House, and was released in April 2003. It opens with the lyrics, A long time ago, we used to be friends, but I haven't thought of you lately at all. The catchy melody, backed by hand claps and fuzzy guitars, situated it in that perfectly 2003 space between Indie and the OC Volume 1 soundtrack. So listen back to the song, which I will not put in this episode because of copyright reasons, which I just learned about on episode 7, so go me. Um, But listen back to it. There will be a link in the show notes to video and uh, think about all your lost friendships to the early 2000s and hopefully you came away relatively unscathed thanks again to hannah becker for re-watching so many episodes of rich girls for me and for class of 03 if you have a memory of this show or of the simple life that you want to share please get in touch class of 03 pod at gmail.com or at class of 03 pod on instagram I'm Helen Grossman, and I write, produce, and host Class of 03. Our theme music is by Schwartz and Evan Joseph of Sawtooth, and our show art is by Maddie Herbert of Dame Studio. Thanks to everyone who's been listening. If you like this show, please support it by rating it and reviewing it and telling your friends and family about it. 
We'll be back with a simple life in two weeks. Class is